0: So I want to begin to minister over the next several weeks uh, over about a, a, a series called Prayer, the Lifeblood of the Church. And I want to, I want to begin it by be just being very honest with you. I always try to be honest, but uh, is, there are some things as a church we do fairly well at. There are some things we could improve at, and then there are some things we don't do well at at all. And one of those things we don't do well at as a church is pray. We have people that pray. But we don't do well as coming together as a church to pray. Now, I know that different churches have different emphasis to them, but we all need to pray. So what I want to do tonight is I want to go through some scriptures and show you what that very first church did and how they conducted themselves and why prayer was the lifeblood of that church And what's happened is, as you look later, we're going to go through some scriptures in the book of Acts. As you look later on in the book of Acts, you don't see people praying as much. Because they began to get organized, they began to have facilities, they began to have their needs met. And the more their needs were met, the less they felt the need to pray. But in the very beginning, what we're going to see is they didn't know what else to do. And when they didn't know what else to do, what did they do? They prayed. Today is September 11th. 18 years ago, is it 18 years ago? Today, this nation was viciously attacked. The next Sunday, all the churches were filled. Why? Because people knew there was a need. And then, as nothing else seemed to happen, we seemed to be safer. People drifted back to their old ways of doing things because they didn't see the need. And if we could understand the need that's really out there, and people really understood it, this place would be packed every time we opened it up for prayer. So we're blind, we don't see it. So there are things God needs to show us. So I just felt to go through some scriptures, and I, we, uh, uh, this, the very theme of this message, that was not mine, uh, there's a video I saw years ago, and I showed it to the church about six years ago, uh, a message by Jim Cimbala. Jim Cimbala is the pastor of Book and Tabernacle, uh, written several wonderful books on prayer, and this is a, probably a 25 or 30 year old video where he was teaching at a worship conference and he got up and taught on prayer. And it, this is a very humble man. It is a very gripping. I may show it again sometime. But the theme of what we're talking about tonight is what I got from that video. So I'm going to give him all the credit for this, and, uh, which is where it truly deserves. So let's go to the book of Acts because at the book of Acts is the story of the beginning of the church. And uh, it's the only book in the Bible that's not finished yet. We're still writing the book of the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, and, and, and we're just going to take little sections of this, and I'm telling you ahead of time what I want you to see. Every time something happened they didn't know what to do, they got together and prayed. Every time something happens we don't get know what to do, we hold a meeting. Or we appoint a committee, and I'm not just talking about. I try not to do that too much here, but we do that sometimes. But churches appoint committees. They do studies. They get they get they attend seminars. I heard uh, one wonderful pastor talk uh, at a conference for Lafayette Scales, a pastors' conference. He said, "What most pastors' conferences are, is people who haven't spent the pastors who haven't spent the time to pray go listen to the pastors who have spent the time to pray to tell them what God's saying." I'll say that again because it's easy to miss. Pastors who haven't taken the time to pray spend money to go to a conference to listen to other ministers who have spent the time to pray who tell them what God is saying, whereas they could have spent the time themselves to find out what God's praying. I can tell this is going to be a popular subject tonight. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 1. Now, here's the scene. These are the 11 apostles that are left along with others like Mary and some of the others that have been traveling with him. And Jesus has just been crucified, terribly beaten, crucified, raised from the dead, walked among them on and off for about 40 days, and now he's just been physically taken up into heaven, and they stood there watching, and an angel appears and says, What are you looking for? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? No, that's, excuse me, that's in the, in the, in the garden, in, the, in the, uh, the, um, the grave site. And they're looking up, and, and, and then Jesus has told them what to do. So now they go back and gather together. Now, we know what happens because we've read chapter 2. And you have read chapter 2, haven't you? And chapter 3 and chapter 4 and right on down. They didn't know that was going to happen. They didn't know what to do. All they knew is their leader was gone. There were things that happened that they saw with their eyes, but some of them were still having trouble grasping it. Because even when he was raised from the dead and he comes on the mountain to ascend, in Luke's version, I think it is, he has to rebuke them because some of them still don't believe. And so now you've got to imagine the confusion, let alone the fear. Because the Roman soldiers may be looking for them. They're hiding out. And they're hiding together in this room. Now, we need to relate to that because we're often in situations where we don't know what to do. It's just to them it was obvious. They didn't have somewhere else to go. They couldn't Google, what do you do? They couldn't ask Siri, what do you do in this situation? There was no Google. There was no Siri. There was nothing except each. uh, All they had was each other. And I've said this so many times. I believe with all my heart. We're coming to a place where all we're going to have is each other. So we better learn how to do things together. We better learn how to do life together. We better learn how to pray together. We better learn how to worship together. We better learn how to help one another together. We better learn how to become more committed together than we already are. And I'm talking to me as well as you because there's, we better get ready because there's coming a time when that, we're, all we're going to have is each other yeah. and Jesus. But according to the word of God, each other and Jesus is enough. Jesus without each other is not enough. And each other without Jesus is enough. But we've got to have Jesus and each other. Isn't that what Jesus said? All the commandments are reduced to this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. So we need him. And the second commandment is like this. You shall love your brother as yourself. And then he went on and raised it to another level when he was meeting with the disciples. He says, this is my commandment, not suggestion, not good idea, but this is my commandment that you love one another. And then he makes it clear, as I have loved you. Remember the movie, The Passion of the Christ? There's a very powerful scene in there where Jesus has has been beaten, he's been scourged, and he's carrying that cross towards, uh, towards Golgotha, And he's, he's, he's weak, and he's falling down, and there's a scene, and I don't remember exactly, where he's looking over at whether it was his mother or some, one of the disciples who are looking at him, and it flashes back, I think, to the scene where Jesus, this is this commandment, this is my commandment, that you love one another As I have loved you. And here is the tangible evidence of how far he was willing to go for them. And that's what we're commanded to do for one another. And yet we get in strife with each other. We get petty peeves with each other. We get envious and jealous of one another. We just decide there are certain people I don't want to talk to. And we do that with each other, and yet that's because we do really not understand who we are. We are together the body of Christ. Together, not individually, together we are. And the body has got to learn to work together, to serve together, to love together, to worship together, to help one another together, or else we're not going to accomplish what we're here to do. And as we've just read earlier, there's going to come a day when each one of us gives an account for our part, whether we did our part, whether it was gold, silver, Um, straw, hay or stubble and whatever was not of God is going to get burned up whatever is not pleasing to him that's another message for another day anyway that's the background here so we're going to pick up in verse 12 and see what they did and they returned from Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. and when they when they'd entered, they went into an upper room, the, the upper room this is where they had, had, uh, had celebrated the Lord's table together. and they, where they were staying Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, not Judas Iscariot. And they all continued with one accord, what? in prayer and supplication. They didn't know what to do. So what did they do when they didn't know what to do? What did they do when they were threatened? They came together and they prayed in one accord with supplications and the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, as when is with his brothers. And so uh, uh, what happened is this began to create an atmosphere. And this atmosphere was maintained until the day of Pentecost. And now we'll go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And on the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all here, still, in one accord, in one place. So I believe what was happening is this atmosphere of prayer was continuing. So it wasn't like they had a one-night prayer meeting and said, well, we did it, it didn't work, nothing happened, so let's go figure. They prayed, because that's what Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. They had no idea how that was going to happen. They didn't understand what it was or what it meant. All they knew was they were to expect something, and so they came together to wait together and to seek God together in order to wait until that happened. And when they, because they continued to do that, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together of one accord. Notice that. In one place. They weren't online streaming the meeting. They weren't downloading last week's episode. All right? It's wonderful to be able to do that to get other teachings, but that's not a substitute. And I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight because you're here, but that's no substitute for physically coming together. The Bible warns us in the book of Hebrews to not forsake your assembling together. All the more as you see the day approaching. Well, if the day was approaching back when the writer of Hebrews wrote it, it, how much more is that day approaching and closer today? We need one another. But look what happens when they did that, verse 2. And suddenly, I love that word, suddenly. See, a lot of times because of our human nature, when we're praying, we start praying for something, then we start looking to see if it happens. Do I see some sign that's happening? We want some encouragement. There was nothing going on for 40 days. There was a 40-day prayer meeting and nothing's happening. But they didn't quit. They didn't give up. And, And suddenly, it didn't build up. There was no one got up the day before and said, oh, brothers, I sense the Spirit's about to do something. Oh, brothers, let's just hang in along. They just kept doing it for the sake of doing it because they didn't have an answer yet. They kept seeking God they kept doing this together and then suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting this was the fulfillment of what Jesus promised would come and, but it was their prayerful attitude together coming together that created this atmosphere where the spirit of God could come Now, we know we don't need to wait for him to come because he's here. You brought him with you. If you're a Christian, you brought him with you when you came in. So he may be in the room in us, but he's not moving among us because we're scattered all over the place. There's no unity here. Notice it says twice. It says here, and it said back in when they first came together, they were together of one accord That means they had a joint purpose. There was a sense of unity among them. There was a sense of binding together. Now, part of that came because they knew they needed each other. If you've ever been in a situation where you were with a bunch of strangers, uh, there was a, uh, uh, when I was in college back in the 60s, 1960s, not 1860s, not back in the, in the 60s, there was a blackout in, in, in the whole Northeast. Anybody old enough to remember when the Niagara power grid shut down? And there was a power, and it was at, it was at rush hour. So people were getting on the elevators in these high-rise high uh, uh, office buildings. They got on, the, expecting a 30-second you know, ride to the bottom, and they were there for six hours with people that they just stepped into an elevator with, and may may not have known when they got in there, but I guarantee you they knew when they got out because they had one thing together in common. They were stuck in the same elevator, and they all wanted to get out. All the more, as the hour went on, and the no air conditioning, no air circulation, and this is already at the end of the day, and their seven-hour deodorants beginning to run out, You know, they have an incentive together to get out. So I am sure they begin to work Together because they had a they knew they had a common need. And the problem today is the church doesn't understand we have a common need because we're all so busy with our own needs and we have so many of our needs already taken care of, we don't realize that there are some real needs out there that we have, we don't realize we have, because we're so comfortable. And that's the value of persecution. It's not fun. That's the value of tribulation because it helps you find out what your need is and that we need one another. Now, the opportunity that we have is to learn some of these things before we get into that situation and not have to learn them while we're in that situation. And Maybe if we learn them before we get into the situation, we won't have to get into the situation. All right. So the result was a great revival, a great outpouring of the Spirit. And we're going to go down now to verse 41. So what happens is the Spirit of God comes into that building, into that room. It fills the place where they were. It fills them. There are like tongues of fire on their head. It's the glory of God shining off of them. And so it, they began to spill out into the streets. Nobody got together and said, you know what, brothers? We need to get an evangelism program. You, Peter, you go over here. And you, Thaddeus, you go over here. They couldn't contain it within themselves. And it spilled out in the streets. And when it spilled out in the streets, the city knew about it. It made a noise it was coming out of them and people began to gather together and as a result there was confusion people trying to figure out what was going on and Peter who only a few weeks before was hiding and afraid to admit he even knew Christ stands up boldly and preaches his very first sermon and as a result 3,000 people get saved 3,000 people get saved And so we're going to pick up at verse 41. Then those who were gladly received the word were baptized. We'll talk about that Sunday. And that about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that's teaching, fellowship, that's coming together, in the breaking of bread, that's the Lord's table, and in Prayers. prayers. Steadfastly in the teaching, the fellowship, which is the connecting the breaking of bread together and in prayers. And the fear came upon every soul and the many wonders and signs were done among the apostles and all those believed together had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among them as anyone had need. And stop here. Nobody told them they had to do that. There's no evidence here that Peter got up and said, we had a committee meeting and we decided that the best way to govern the best is we're going to form a socialistic state here and we're going to, we're going to have everybody contribute everything and we're going to divvy it out to meet people's needs. They did this out of love. They cared more about one another than they did themselves. How did that happen among people that only a few weeks before were, were divisive and were, how did it happen? Because of prayer together. And then when they prayed together, the Spirit of God began to move among them and they began to have a common heart together for one another. The love of Christ, the love that He commanded to do wasn't something you had to work out. It naturally came out of them. But it, the, what created that atmosphere is they'd been together Together in prayer. Together in prayer. And there are things that God wants to do in this body and through this body that will not happen if we don't learn to come together and pray together. So let's go on and look at the rest of this. Verse 46. So continually... With one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness. Look at this, with simplicity of heart. The word simplicity doesn't mean that they weren't smart or didn't know things. Simplicity means with, with, with no with nothing false. It means with, with sincerity. So they were sincere of heart with one another. So the Spirit of God did a work in their hearts together for one another, but we created that atmosphere was prayer, together. Verse 47, And they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We're going to go over to chapter 4, because now what happens next is, is miracles begin to happen. And, and Peter and John are going into the temple to worship, and there's a man by the gate, and he's been lame his whole life. And he's begging and he's legally entitled to be there because his way of even living, making a living was to beg at the temple door. And, and he's begging for money, and you know the story. Uh, Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus. So what did he have? He had the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man who never walked stood up and started dancing around and giving glory to God and so the Pharisees and the Sadducees hear about this, so they arrest them. And they bring them in to find out what's going on. And they're a little bit afraid because the news of this is spreading all over the city, and so they're afraid. So what they decide to do is, it's interesting, they're smarter than most Christians. Because they recognize the problem was they were doing this in the name of Jesus. So what they say is, you can, you can still speak but just don't do anything in that name. They knew where the power was. The power was in the name, it was by the name of Jesus that that lame man got up and walked. So what what Satan came against was the use of the name by threatening them. And that's what he'll try to do today. He'll try to threaten us so that we can't use the name of Jesus. We can't proclaim the name of Jesus because the power and the authority is in the name of Jesus. He is the cornerstone, he, because the cross is the final word, the way we sang tonight. Amen. So they haul him in and they arrest them and they threaten them. And, and P- Peter's reaction is, you can threaten us all you want, but we can't help speak what we've seen and heard. And so th- then they decide to just beat them and they send them out. And so they go back to their companions, uh, and we're going to pick up here on verse uh, 23. And being let go, this is Peter and John, they went to their own companions. No, they goes back to the church. And they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said. Basically, the, the authorities had threatened them. You can hold church, but you can't go out of the doors and do anything in that name. Now, I, I don't want to take too much time on this. Remember several years ago, the Supreme Court passed a decision about same-sex marriage? Right. All right. If you read that decision carefully, there's a provision in there where what's and the words are very carefully written, and because most of the Supreme Court decisions are, uh, that was written. It basically appeared to carve out for houses of worship the right to decide what we say in here. So we have the freedom of expression of religion inside the four walls of the church. And as I read that, I said, that's very crafty. Because yeah. it sounds as if they're accepting the church. What they're doing is confining the gospel, or not the whole gospel, they're confining us to speak truth within the walls of the church, which is what they were doing back then. Right. So the devil has the same goal, is to shut the church up because there's power in the the church. There's power. Uh, um, um, my, I'll go again. I'll get sidetracked. I'll get off on rabbit trails I don't want to get off on. Okay. All right. And, and, you, and it'd be your fault. So verse 24, they went back to church. So when they heard that, the church heard that, they panicked and they ran out and they started writing letters to their congressmen and they started protesting they went down to the state capitol and started protesting and they they started doing all kinds of political they posted things on Facebook no, what did they do? they went to where the power is what did they do? when they heard that they raised their voice to God here it is again with one accord and said Lord you are God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them as far as I know he's still the God that made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. Why do we think God's not strong enough to solve our problems? Why do we think God's not able to turn situations around? Why do we think God's not able to deliver family members? Why do we think God's not able to protect us? Why do we think... Because we must not think He's able to, because we don't go and ask Him to do it. We go to try to figure some other way to take care of ourselves and solve our problems. And only when those run out... Do we weakly go to him and hope maybe God just might be able to do something? Lord God, you are God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant, they're arguing God's word back to him. I'm, just, I'm getting little rabbit trails, but I can't, I can't go down them. Who by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? And the kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to do. Now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants. Notice what they're praying for. They're not asking for protection they're asking that they may have boldness to speak the word. And verse 30, that by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they assembled together, the place where they had assembled together, the place where they had assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all spoke the word of God with boldness. Now we're going to go over to Acts chapter 6. Again, they had no manual on what to do. Peter, James, and John hadn't gone to seminary. They hadn't taken church building courses. They did not know what to do, and the people, and then they didn't pretend they know what to do. If you want to get anywhere in prayer, you've got to be honest with God. God. Okay, Because I'll let you on in a secret. If you promise not to tell him that I tell you, he already knows. When you get honest with God is not when God finds out what's really going on with you. It's when you find out and when you admit it to him. But something happens when you admit it to him. Like, God, I don't know how to do this. Or, God, I don't want to. You know, God can handle that. I don't like that. I don't want to do that. But I'm willing to be made willing. It's when we harden our hearts. It's when we refuse to face the truth. That's pride, and God has, can't work with pride. In fact, it says he rejects the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Humble is somebody who says, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know, but we need you. There's, I didn't have time to get into it tonight, but there's a great verse, chapter in, in, in uh, Second Chronicles 20, When Jehoshaphat is attacked, Israel, uh, Jerusalem is attacked by three armies, and Jehoshaphat calls the whole city together, and he just gets open before God. You know, this is what's going on, and we don't—we've never been here before, and we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God gave him an answer of what to do, and so God knows we don't know what to do. God knows where we are. We need to be honest with ourselves and with God about where we are, and that's an important part of where we are as a church, which is why I'm telling you that I don't believe as a church we're a church that really prays. We are people that pray, some pray more than others, but we do not know how to pray together as a church. And so, but by being honest before God with that and asking God to help us, God can work with that if we're sincere and truly want to learn. And so I'm saying this to you tonight because you're the people that come, Okay, and because you're the people that come, you have a commitment and a heart that's beyond people who are too busy to come and have other excuses to come. But you come on a Wednesday night, and God will start with the people that are already committed to come. If we'll be honest and begin to call out to Him, then God begin. There was an amazing revival that happened years ago because one man started praying in Times Square. And somebody else began to join him in his lunch hour, and it began to grow. And out of those two men that started, a revival broke forth, but they were honest with God. They just began to cry out to God honestly before him, and that's what's happening here. We don't know what to do. And so the Lord began to answer that. So now we're going to move forward into Acts chapter 6. What's happened now is the church continues to grow. And now because the church is people that are working together and living together, you get disagreements. And now what you've got is you've got a racial issue coming in the church. And what it is is you have the Hellenistic Christians, which are the Greeks that have been converted to Christianity, and then you've got the Jews who've been converted to Christianity, and they're now eating together, they're now meeting together, and there's strife that breaks out among them. And now what's happening is it's taking all of the apostles time to work with them and so the apostles come up with the idea that they need to that they need to deal with this issue and that's what this is about so now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying there arose a complaint against the hebrews by the hellenistic so the greek christians are complaining about the jewish christians because their widows were being neglected by the daily distribution So the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples together and they said, It's not desirable, it's not desirable that, that we should leave the word of God and serve the tables. Now in here you have the beginning of delegation of authority within a church based on what your responsibility is, because what was happening here was that the men, the leaders of the church, was the apostles at the time, they were spending their time preparing the food, feeding the people, dealing with all the issues, and now they really, wait a minute, this is not working well. We're not getting time to pray. We're spending time solving all the problems. So, So here's what their answer is, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. So, this is a delegation of authority to basically what become deacons. It's a delegation to the next level of authority. And it may be elders or deacons, whatever we want to call them. But notice the qualification they have to have a good reputation, they have to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we may appoint them over this business. Verse 4. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. My main responsibility as the senior pastor is to feed you. Not physical food, but spiritual food. My main responsibility is to pray and get God's wisdom and direction and guidance for where he wants to go and how we're to do there. And i got a great staff of of men and women that help me, and I have to struggle because sometimes i got to stay home on a day instead of coming in here because it's not so much that they bother me. I go over there and get involved in things that some things I need to get involved in and some things I don't need to get involved in when I should be spending time in here in prayer or in there in study. So this is what they're doing here. Um, And so verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and all the rest of these guys, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and look at this, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So the next delegation of authority was selected by... Uh, by the leadership and then the approval of the people and then there was prayer over them to release them to do this business to wait tables they prayed over them so here again what they do they prayed over let's go forward now to acts chapter nine so the church continues to grow but what's going on now happens is the church is growing in jerusalem and, and, and Satan realizes in order to, to, to stop this he brings tremendous persecution against the church and the result of the persecution is everybody except the core of the, of the original believers scatters through, through parts of the known world they go up north into Antioch they go up into Asia Minor and they begin to just spread out where there's no persecution what Satan didn't realize is that by bringing in the persecution he spread the gospel It's like taking a gasoline fire and trying to put it out by pouring water on it. All you do is spread it, and he spread the fire. So um, this is a little aside. So Satan got smart after that, and he realized the best way to destroy the church is not to persecute it, but to water it down. So he had Constantine, the emperor of Rome, in, in 300, whatever it was, legalize the church and make it the state religion so everybody was a Christian so there was no cost to being a christian and as a result everybody became a christian and it got watered down that began to undermine the church but that's another matter so they prayed All right. so acts chapter nine so one of the leaders of this persecution is Saul of Tarsus Saul who became Paul the apostle at this point Saul is a devout Jew he really is sincere now some of the pharisees were hypocrites but this man was sincere he was so angry at the Christians because he believed that, that they were, that they were a, a, a heresy, that they were blasphemers because they were, they were throwing the law out. But more than that, the root of all of it was centered around who Jesus was. And the Jews did not believe he was the Messiah. And if he's not the Messiah and he's claiming to be the Messiah, he's a blasphemer and deserves to die. Well, he died. Of course, he came back from the dead. Now you have these followers of his, and it's growing. So Paul goes with letters from the, from, the, from, the, from the Sanhedrin. He goes with letters of authorization to go to Damascus and arrest the church there to bring the leaders back to be persecuted, if not killed. And he's sincere and he's devout about doing this. And on the road to Damascus, you know the story in Acts chapter 9, in the middle of the day, a sudden blinding light hits the sky, and knocks him off his horse. (coughs) We talk about being knocked off a high horse. He was knocked off by Jesus. He's on the ground, and he hears this voice speaking to him. By name. When God calls you by name, watch out. Saul, and he says it twice. Saul, Saul, and I've said this so many times, but I'm going to say it again. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? So whatever happens to the church... Jesus takes it as happening to him. And Paul's answer is, Who are you, Lord? So the issue to Paul was, Who is it that's speaking to me that's saying I'm persecuting him? Because Paul thought he, what he was doing was right. And Jesus said, "And imagine what must have gone through Paul's, Saul's mind. He's convinced that this Jesus that died and was supposedly raised from the dead, but that has to be some conspiracy that he's not the Messiah. He's, he's a heretic, and these are blasphemers, and he's going to destroy this. And now this voice speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus Christ who you're persecuting. And now they're dawning on him that the one he thought was a heretic is indeed the Messiah. Can you imagine how that turned his world upside down? So now he's confronted with something that shakes his whole world. Not only that, when he finally gets up, he can't see. Now here's a man that's brilliant, intelligent, articulate, clear-cut, very determined, very decisive, knows exactly what he's going to do, and now he can't even see where he's going. He needs other people to lead him. How humbling that must have been. How humbling his whole experience was. And he goes, he's led into this house where he doesn't eat or drink anything for three days. And now we're going to pick up on verse 10. And there was a certain disciple in Damascus, which is where this happened, named Ananias. Ananias and to him the Lord said in a vision Ananias and he said here I am Lord so he said to him arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas one called Saul of Tarsus for behold look what he's doing he's praying this incredible experience has happened to Paul he doesn't understand it his world's been turned upside down and what's Paul doing He's not online Googling. Has anybody else ever had this experience? He's not checking with people, you know, what what do you think this means? He's opening his heart before God to ask him, what does this mean and what do you want me to do? He's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So that when... So Jesus showed Saul what was going to happen so that when it happened, that was further confirmation that Saul had truly heard from God. But Saul was only knew that because he was praying. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. So what we're seeing here is how God makes major changes in the direction of the church happens when people are praying when people are praying now we're going to see another dramatic change because up until this point the prevailing view is that, is that Jesus is the Messiah which obviously we know is true but that he's come for the church which is what the Old Testament prophets said he was coming for but the church was the Jews and so Peter is waiting for lunch to be prepared in Acts chapter 10 and something's already gone over in Caesarea and we're going to pick up here in verse uh, 9 the next day they went on their journey and drew it at the city Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour which is noon and he became hungry and wanted to eat oh verse 9 the next day he went up on the because I Skip right over. He went up, verse 9, he went up on the to- house to- I'll read it over here. He went up on the housetop to do what? Pray. To pray. Now he's not praying for some great revelation. He's not praying for God. Do you want to make some major change in the church? He's waiting for lunch to be cooked. So he's got nothing else to do but wait. He's hungry, but what's he doing? He's praying. So you don't never know when God's going to speak to you. You never know. It could be in the car. It could be in the shower. I let God speak to me at the weirdest times, and, and but I pray at the weirdest times. I don't just pray in here. I talk to him in the car. I talk to him in the shower. I talk to him do it, driving, all kinds of things. I talk to him, and most of the time when God speaks to me, it's not just in here on my knees. But I believe the time in here on my knees, the time in the morning when I pray to him, sets a stage where God can speak to me at any time. So here he is, it's lunchtime. They're cooking downstairs, the smell of the food's coming up through the floor, through the ceiling, and he's praying. But look what happens. Verse 10. And he became very hungry, wanted to eat, and while they were made ready, he fell into a trance. Verse 11. And saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bounded the four corners, descending and coming down to earth. Verse uh, 12... And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. and says, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times and was taken up into heaven. Now what goes on and happens is, Peter's wondering, What does this mean? And in the meantime, what happens is, Three men show up and knock at the door. Because what's happened over in Caesarea is God has appeared or spoken by an angel to a a Roman officer, Cornelius, who's been been seeking God. He's not a Jew. He's not a Christian. But he's been seeking God. And God sends an angel to him to change the whole direction of the church, telling him to send messengers to go ask for Peter who's praying because Peter has the words you need to hear. So these two men, God brings together, but they're both praying when God talks to them to do this. So what comes out of this? This is the birth of the Gentile church. Because what God was trying to get through to Peter is everything you've learned your whole life, that, that, that God has a covenant with the Jews, and everybody else is unclean. You cannot call anymore unclean what I call clean. So the church is not just for the Jews. I want you to bring it to the Gentiles. But he could only hear that because he was in prayer. Cornelius could only hear from God because he'd been in prayer. So here, this change in the direction of the church only happens because people were in prayer. The last one we're going to look at quickly is in Acts chapter 13. This Saul of Tarsus, it's a long story. There are about maybe 10, 12 years that have happened in between now. He just kind of went off and was tearing the church up a different way now by preaching the gospel. And people were scared. Imagine having now Paul stand up in your church. This was a man that came only a few weeks ago with letters to arrest you and take you to jail. And now he's going to preach the gospel. You may be a little suspicious of what he's doing. All right? So it took a while to work all this out. But now Paul, we're in Acts chapter 13. And he's in Antioch. The church was at Antioch and there were certain prophets and teachers Barnabas and Simeon was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaian, and they were uh, who had been brought up with Herod the tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord, that's pray and worship him and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, "Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them." Now we didn't read it. I did it Sunday. But when was Saul called? He was called back in that church, back in that house, in the very beginning when he was sent by Ananias. Ananias was sent to him while he was praying. Remember, Jesus said to Ananias, I must tell him the things which he must go through, what he's called to do. So Saul received the call way back then. 10 to 13 years later, He's now released into that ministry, and that's a whole lesson in and of itself. God had to use those intervening years to prepare him. There's a progression in ministry. There's the call, there's the preparation, and then there's the time when you're released. And there are three distinct times, and the most important time isn't the call. That can happen in an instant. The release can happen in an instant. It's the preparation, because that's the work that has to be done on the inside, and that's the piece most people miss because they want to go from the call to the release into the ministry. That's another side lesson. But why, did it, why could this happen? Because they were together and they were praying and they were ministering to the Lord. I want to end this time tonight by praying. I want to first of all spend a few, just a minute or so... Um, by thanking God, here we are 18 years later, after December, September 11, 2001, and we've not had another attack. And I'm sure there's story after story after story of attacks that were planned that got exposed, and th- and I am convinced without a shadow of a doubt, it's because people have prayed. Yes. I've read accounts of how, and I mentioned this last, a couple weeks ago, I've read accounts of how, how groups of Christians in England, especially in other places, were praying during World War II. And that the reason that war was won was not just because of the soldiers, because there were people praying. I've, I'm a, stu- history of, a student of history, and I've read many accounts of situations that happened that should never have happened and situations that didn't happen that, sh- that should have happened that turned entire battles around. And I'm convinced that because people prayed people prayed. Revivals have happened, but people prayed. Nothing, God cannot do anything. We'll talk about this in another week. God cannot do anything unless people pray. He needs us to pray so that he can do what he wants to do. But one of the things that's been on my heart lately is that it's so important that we learn to be thankful for even the little things that God does for us. I had God do just a a small little thing for me yesterday, and it had to do with Molly. Molly. It's a battle I've been having with Molly over something. And instead of getting frustrated the way I have been for so many months, I decided to not be frustrated and pray. And God took care of it. And I was thanking him this morning. Lord, it was not a very big thing, but it was big to me. And God reminded me, I'm faithful if you'll just ask me. And the scripture I used was, be anxious for nothing. And that's what I was anxious about this. But instead, make your request known unto God with thanksgiving. And then the peace of God that passes understanding. So I decided that I'm going to act on the Word. I'm not going to be anxious about this. God, it's your problem. I'm doing what you said to do, and he solved it for me. And I was just, but I was so thankful. So, we're going to send a few minutes. You can stand up, walk around, and then in the minute or so if we have after that, we may not have any time. But what I want to do is in these sessions we're going to do for a little while, we're going to have some teachings, and then we're going to have a little bit of time of prayer. I spent a little more time today because I wanted to introduce what we were doing. But I want to see, I believe God wants a momentum to begin here so that when we come into our regular prayer nights, there's a momentum going forward. And you people are so important for that because you're the ones that are here all the time. And we can begin to carry this momentum over as other people begin to go so let's just stand for a few moments and father you can give god thanks any way you want and i'll just leave my mic on and do it my way so father i just thank you so much for how good you are first of all i come to you father and i just want to admit to you i am the one that's in charge the leader here i'm the one you've put to be responsible here and i thank you that you've been giving us grace to do many things And I know the grace is here, but, Father, we have not really become a church yet, a church, a praying church. And we need to be in the times we're living in right now. Father, there are things going on out there that may be coming against people in this church, marriages, that could be turned around if we just came together as a church to pray. We thank you so much, Father, for last Wednesday when we were here. We thank you for the presence of your spirit and how you reached out to those students and even moved among the students and some young people, Lord, to begin to move out. And we just thank you, Father. Now we're asking you to to keep that momentum going, Father. Keep that momentum going. May you bring to our hearts and to this place, in this place, and especially in our hearts, that spirit of prayer, Lord, that you begin to take hold of our hearts and grip our hearts and we want to thank you for what we believe you began last night last week Lord we can't do this in our strength we can't do this by whipping it up and by emotions it's got to be done by your spirit Father it's got to be done by your spirit I don't know how to do that. We don't know how to do that. But your spirit knows how to do that. And Father, your word teaches us that you will respect and respond when we're open and when sincere before you. And that's what we're endeavoring to do tonight. Father, we want to be a people of prayer. I believe that's in people's hearts that are in this church. I know it's in people's hearts that are here tonight. We want to be a people of prayer together, but we don't know how. Father, we have differences among us. We have differences we may not even realize, but it's the spirit of unity that can begin to bring us together. So we're asking you to do that. I believe you're stirring it in my heart and other people's hearts now for a reason, that this is the time. And so, Father, we're asking you to do that, that, that what began last week will not end, that it will continue to grow and move among us, Father. And I thank you for that grace. Father, this is, this is September 11th. This is a day where we stop and remember the horrible attack that came against this nation uh, 18 years ago and the lives that were destroyed, innocent lives on their way to work, on their way traveling places. Lord, and, and it wasn't just the terrorists, it was Satan came in to try to destroy this nation because this nation, Satan hates this nation because this nation has funded the gospel around the world. This nation has blessed its enemies. This nation has sent its sons and daughters to spill their blood on foreign shores to save and rescue others, Father. This nation has been a godly nation and there's an ungodly attack against this nation to weaken us and to destroy us, Father. And it's the church that must stand up. It's the church alone that has the power to stand up. The answer is not in our legislation. The answer is not in our Congress. Although we pray for good congressmen, we pray for good leadership, because your word tells us to too but the ultimate answer has got to be coming from you and the power of god to turn this nation around and to change it but the church has to be turned around we have to be turned around we have to become more consecrated more committed in a society that's not committed to anything but self and so we call upon you and ask you to do these things but we want us to pause tonight and we want to thank you father Thank you for 18 years of peace. Thank you for protecting these shores for 18 years. We don't know or begin to know the ways in which you've done that. But we have to believe, Father, it's because there have been people praying and seeking you who have been faithful to do that. Well, we want to join together with them tonight because we don't want to ever assume that we're safe because we have 18 years of peace. We want to never assume that, Father. The reason we have had peace is because of you and because of your protection and so we thank you for that tonight we praise you for that tonight you've proven what you can do you've proven how you can keep us you've proven that Psalm 91 is the truth that it is the word of God and we stand on Psalm 91 we stand on your protection we stand on your protection for our families for this church, Father as, the, as, as things may change in this nation and we hope they don't but if they change that you would continue to protect your people Father, we thank you we live in a nation now that has violence that in Every place that it has it in malls, it happens in places that should be peaceful, it even has it in houses of worship, it has it in schools with small children, Father. Satan has come in and tried to kill and to destroy. And we pray for, for protection, not just over this house, but over all the houses of worship, especially in our area, that you would continue to protect us. And Father, although we take natural Prudent steps to provide natural, prudent protection here. We recognize that the only ultimate protection we have is from you. We can't catch everything. We don't know every scheme, but you do. We pray over those, Lord, that are serving in our security, Father, that you will give them supernatural gifting, that they will have a sensitivity to your spirit, Lord, to be able to pick up on things, that all of us will be sensitive. And we thank you, Father, for your protection. We thank you for your protection. We thank you for your protection. And now, Father, we come along behind what was prayed last week. And we just thank you, Father, that you've heard the the cries of our students. You've heard the hearts, Lord, of our leaders that are praying for our students, praying for our teachers last week, Father, for this school year, for their protection. We pray for their provision, that they be able to grow and learn and grow up and do the things you've called them to do. And, Father, we just continue to water those prayers that were prayed last week. We continue to water them by thanking you that you have heard us, that you're at work doing those things, whether we see them right now or not we thank you that you are at work to do those things father we thank you that you are at work to do those things we thank you that you're at work to do those things we thank you that you're at work to do those things we thank you for the things we haven't seen yet because you do hear our prayers you do answer our prayers and we thank you father for provision for this body you provide everything we need every person we need every skill every gifting every anointing this need for everything you want to do father we don't believe that you're finished with what this church is called to do we believe that you want to expand the vision and you want this vision to reach out and you want to move people out of these seats out into the community to bring your gospel in all kinds of forms and all kinds of shapes but we need people Father, resources here to help us to do that and we thank you that you're providing everything that's needed all the leadership that's needed all the finances that are needed all the all the all the volunteers that are needed you're supplying every need that we have and we thank you for that father we thank you for unity in this church unity father that we will be people as we've read in the word tonight that are here together of one accord of one purpose of one heart father give us a greater vision and understanding that we really are one body and that body is christ that he is one with us and we are one with him but we're also one with each other and that we need each other father We need each other. We take authority over every spirit of division. We take authority over every spirit that would come to oppose the work of God here and the spirit of God in this place. We take authority over every spirit that may be hanging around here that's trying to quench the spirit and to hold it down and to keep us locked up within this place. We quench every spirit. We take authority over you and we declare that no weapon formed against this body or anyone in this body shall prosper. No and formed against this body shall prosper. And every tongue that you cause to rise up, we will cast down. That is the word of the Lord. And we claim that word over this body. And we thank you for it, Father. 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 Teach us to pray. 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 In the situations in our own lives, Lord, that look overwhelming, teach us to pray. Not worry, pray. Not stress, pray. Teach us to pray. You have the answer. You have the answer. You have the answer. There's someone here tonight that needs to hear that. There's someone here tonight. I don't know who you are. You don't need to acknowledge it. There's someone here and you know it. You're searching for an answer. You're desperate for an answer. And you're, you, you're worn out because you've been running out. And you're getting, you're getting conflicting answers. You're getting conflicting because you've been turning to people for your answer. And the Lord is saying to you, that, I have your answer. I have your answer. You need to pull aside and you need to listen to me. For I have your answer. And I want to bring your answer to you. And when you hear it, you'll know it, and you'll know that it's me. And as you act on it, and it may not be what you think, you will find that it will work out. For I have already made a way for you, but you've got to hear from me how to get to that place. That's for somebody here tonight. It may be more than one. It may be more than one. It may be more than one. Thank you, Lord. 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 Lord. Father I pray tonight if there's anybody here that doesn't know you that has never received Christ as their savior and as their lord that has never